All right, how many of you like football weather? <clears throat> football weather, you know what I'm talking about, football weather. Now, I don't mean August, I'm sorry. I understand that the school system has some aberrant logic that they think August is a part of the fall. It's not, I'm sorry. I know you're going to have a football game in August. It's the wrong month. You've made a mistake. I'm sorry. Football weather, and I'm right, you're wrong. You know that, right? Okay, let's make sure we understand where we are. Football weather is, is middle September, early October. That's football weather. And y'all know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about football weather. Football weather is when you sit, stand outside, you stand outside and you look up in the sky, and it's not just blue, it's blue. You know, it's just got that beautiful blue cast, and the sun... The sun is as brilliant in the sky as it possibly can be. Or if you're over at Jones County on a, at, the, at the stadium on a football Friday night and you're sitting on the home side and the big old white full moon comes up over the trees and it's just clearer than normal, you know? It, and it's just the temperature in mid-September, uh, early October, the temperature's in the 80s and then in October it starts dropping into the 70s in the daytime and then at night the temperatures are in the 60s and starts dropping down into the 50s. You know, it's just cool enough so that your wife nags you not to forget your jacket because you're going to forget it and you're going to sit there shivering because it gets cold. I know that. It, it's happened. I'm telling you, that's perfect, perfect football weather. And I don't care how many times you experience it. It's perfect football weather. When, when my, kids were going through, um, my kids were going through Jones County High School, uh, they went back to back to back, and we were involved with the marching band for 10 years. And I know I figured up the other day, in those 10 years, my wife went to about 100 football games over that 10-year period. Now, I worked at, at wherever that place I worked, and many times missed the away games, but I, I myself probably went to 50 or 60 of, of our Jones County High School football games. And I'm telling you, in football weather, every time you went to a game, there was just something special. It never got old. There's something about that weather. Something about that weather. Football weather. Now, now did you know, yes, I'm going somewhere. Did you know that in Jerusalem... That it's football weather in Jerusalem when it's football weather here? No, seriously, I looked it up and I got statistics for you. The um, Gray, Georgia is at 33.0086 degrees north latitude. I never got latitude and longitude right. At, at, at uh, 33.0086 degrees north latitude, Jerusalem, Israel is at 31.7833 degrees north latitude. There's 69 degrees, uh, 69 miles in a degree of latitude, which means that Jones County, Gray, Georgia, is 84 and a half miles further north than Jerusalem on the globe. That's it. You could get in your car and drive to McRae, get in your car and drive down to Cordell, and that's about how far it is from Gray to Jerusalem on the map. And I went to AccuWeather.com, and you know that AccuWeather knows everything because they can predict what the weather's going to be like 20 years from now because of global warming. Anyway, <laughs> yes, I know that's a political statement. I'm sorry. I am one of those. But when I looked at the, the calendar, the, the month-long calendar in Gray, Georgia, 
for September and October and compared it to the month-long calendar in Jerusalem, Israel for September and October, the, the temperatures were almost identical. And they used, in the weather report, they used words like brilliant sunshine. Uh, yeah, they understand football weather. Abundant sunshine is the way the weather report was listed. They're almost identical. Now, why am I making such a big deal out of that? Because this scripture that we read a few minutes ago happened during football weather. There was, a, there was a feast that was going on. If you go back a couple of chapters, you'll find out that there's a feast that was going on during this time. And I looked this feast up, and I found out that this feast always happens in September and October. So it was football weather. And I really, really want us to experience, not just talk about this story this morning. I want us to experience this story. I want us to understand. I want us to feel it. I want us to visualize it. I want us to see what happened in Jerusalem on that day when Jesus was, was uh, questioned by these guys. So the story we read, late September, early October, Jesus came to the temple early in the morning. Now play with me for a minute here, guys. Play with me for a minute. Don't go away yet. Play with me. You walk outside and, and as, as it moves towards fall, and you start feeling it get cooler, right? It's just every day you walk out, it's a little bit cooler. Not quite as much humidity, it's a little bit cooler. But there's that one day you walk outside and you tell me it ain't so. You tell me that I'm the only lunatic in this house. You walk outside and on that morning, on that morning, there's something in the air. And you walk out and that cool, there's just this little slight cool breeze that's blowing when you walk out and you feel it. And it's just like this little fall touch just sort of kisses you on the cheek and you just stand there going, wow, it's fall. You know what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus felt that morning. Early in the morning, Jesus got up to go to the temple. That's what he felt when he walked outside, that little cool breeze. And not just him, the scripture says that all went to see him. Now when it's talking about all here, it's not talking about everybody in Jerusalem. It's talking about everybody that went to the temple that day. And everybody that went to the temple that day, all those people decided to go hear Jesus teach that morning. And he sat down and he taught them. Now, did you ever have one of those cool teachers? I just realized that this may not work right. Because now I'm saying cool teachers and that would imply there are not cool teachers. Teachers, if you've not done this, this is not to say that you're not cool. But if you're one of the cool teachers like I had one time, and it could be in high school, it could, be, it could have been in college. On that day, you know when you walked into that classroom that you did not want to be in that classroom. I remember it like it was yesterday, walking into the, the Christianity building at Mercer University on a morning just like that. And I thought, this is horrible. i got to sit in that classroom. I got in the classroom. The professor felt the same way I did that day. And he said, class, we're going to meet outside. And so we went outside into the quadrangle at Mercer University. The grass was about so high, it was real thick. You pay so much in tuition, that's where it goes to make that grass look good. And we sat, we sat in a semicircle in that grass with a professor sitting cross-legged in the grass teaching us. And we sat around him in a semicircle in the grass, cross-legged on the ground. That's what they did. That's exactly what they did. That's what the situation looked like. Jesus came in. The scripture says he sat down. He sat down cross-legged on the ground. T 
taught them outside in Jerusalem beginning early in the morning in football weather. I'm telling you, that would have been a great place to be. Now, the scripture doesn't say it, but I think that Jesus was in the women's court when he taught. And the reason I sort of figured that he was in the women's court, he had taught there before. The women's court wasn't for women. The women's court was the last place the women could go in the temple. To go beyond that spot, you had to be a guy. To go before that spot, you had everybody, Gentiles and their animals and all that stuff's out there. But when you walk into the women's court, only women and men, Jews, could be in there. And Jesus had taught there before. You remember the story, some of you that have been in church forever? And you remember the story of the widow's mite, where Jesus is sitting there and he's talking to his disciple and people are dropping the money in the offering plates and then the widow drops in her mites. And Jesus says, you know, everybody else has given out of their abundance, but that woman, because she's given everything she has, has given more than everybody else. That was in the women's court. Treasury was on one side. So Jesus had already taught there before. So Jesus is sitting there. And the reason I want you to think about all that is the room's about 50 by 50. So it's about what, Barry? About half here maybe wide and about 50 feet back is about how big that room was. Open to the sky. So it's outside. Jesus is sitting on one side, cross-legged on the floor. Got the people sitting around him in a, in a semicircle. Jesus would teach to anybody who would listen on that beautiful football weather day in the temple in Jerusalem. Life can't get much better than that, but it can get a whole lot worse. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, and I want you to get the picture right because Hollywood has messed this up. I've seen many reenactments on television and, and in movies and they've always walking in with a woman caught in adultery and they're holding her by the arm and she's struggling a little bit and they get in there and they sort of push her down and she falls down in front of Jesus. Number one, Jesus was not standing, he was sitting. Number two, it does not say anything about throwing her on the ground. It says that they placed her in the midst. This is what they did. Jesus is sitting on the floor. All the people are sitting around here. They walked in the room. They didn't say, excuse me, how you doing? Drop dead, I hate you. They didn't say nothing. They walked in the room with this woman by the arm, got in the middle of the group, and stood her in the middle of the group. And then they stepped back. So here's Jesus sitting on the floor. Everybody's sitting around. Woman is standing in the middle. She is not struggling. She's standing so everybody can see her. They did this on purpose. Everybody can see her. Everybody can hear every accusation about her. Everybody can hear her shame. There is nothing to indicate that she struggled or fought with them. On the contrary, they placed her in the middle so that she could stand there wordless and condemned because she knew that she had been caught red-handed and she knew what the penalty was when you're caught red-handed. She knew that. So there was no reason to fight. She just stood there. Now, they got her in the middle and these guys start out their sentence and they say, teacher, I almost want to throw up when I say it like they, they had to have said it. Teacher, they despised Jesus. And they wanted so much for everybody else to despise Jesus just as they did. Have you ever had anybody that you really didn't care for? I know we're all Christians. We love everybody. Got it. Okay. 
There are people that you don't like. It is just that way. But they're in a position of authority over you. And you have to say sir. Or you have to say ma'am. Or you have to give them some deference. And as it comes out of your mouth, you sort of want to spit it at them. Yes, sir, kind of thing. That's what they were doing with Jesus. And I want you to think about something else here, too, about the Pharisees and the scribes. They're, they're coming to Jesus, despising him, and they want everybody else to despise him. These groups that are going around, I want you to understand this, or at least think about it like I think about it. These groups that are going around the country that file lawsuits every time somebody gives a discount because if they pray before their meal, they're going to give them a 15% discount. Do they really want freedom from religion? That is not what they want. What they despise is Jesus. That what they hate is Jesus. And they want everybody else. Because if it was somebody of another faith, they would not have that reaction. Tell me I'm lying. Show me some proof. Because I'm telling you, that's what I see. Just like these Pharisees and scribes, they want people to hate Jesus. That's what these guys wanted. They want them to hate Jesus. Jesus teacher. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? <clears throat> they weren't wrong. They were not lying. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 20.10 says, if a man commits adultery with a wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy 22.22 says, if a man is found lying with a wife of another, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman, so shall you purge the evil from Israel. Now I understand when I read that. It said the man and the woman would die. We just have the woman here. Understand there's a whole host of things we could talk about. Makes no difference to this story. What's important to this story is that this woman was condemned. She was caught red-handed. Technically they're correct. And these scribes and Pharisees are doing what they think is right. They're trying to preserve the honor and dignity of the house of God. They're trying to live according to the scriptures. Now yeah, they want to trip Jesus up and make people hate him. But as far as they're concerned, they're doing everybody a favor. They're doing a congregation of service. They want to show Jesus for the person that they see him to be. Somebody that if he is not stopped, he's going to ruin the church. He's going to cause people to, de to deny the faith. He's going to cause people to fall away. They're going to quit following the rules. The world's going to fall apart. They've got to stop him. It doesn't matter how many people get hurt in order for them to stop him because people don't matter. What matters is we get the rules right. That's where they're coming from. I've got a question for you. It's the only thing I'm going to say about it. We're going to move on, but I want to leave it with you so you can think about it. How many people... How many people have had their lives turned upside down because some well-meaning church person made it their personal mission to make sure that we did every rule exactly like it was written and I don't care what anybody says. So here we have Jesus. Got this sitting on the floor, cross-legged. 
He's got all the people sitting around him, cross-legged on the floor. He's teaching them. Guys come in, set the woman in the middle. They get in the back. They ask Jesus the question. Jesus is sitting on the floor. I want to be like Jesus under pressure. I'm telling you, men, if you ever want a role model for how to handle pressure, when you get in one of those situations where you've got everybody attacking you, Jesus is the man. They come up. These guys are totally attacking him. They're jumping all over him. It's not like they just said the question and then stepped back waiting for the answer. What these guys did is they just keep on and they keep on and they keep on. And here's Jesus. He's unflustered. He's calm. He's in control of himself. He's not agitated. He is not combative. And here is the cuss word of the 21st century. He is not defensive. Now, I don't know about you guys. In the world I just came from, the worst thing anybody could say about you, the worst thing they could say about you, is that you got defensive. It don't matter how right you are, you could have 18 people challenging you and you could be the only one that's right. You've got to say it in a way that you're not defensive. And Jesus wasn't defensive. And he wasn't combative. And he didn't argue with anybody. What did Jesus do? He bent over. And he started writing in the dirt. That's all. He didn't say a word. He just bent over and started writing in the dirt. He was already sitting down. He wasn't standing up. He didn't lean over. He was sitting on the ground already. And he started writing in the dirt. They were a mob. I want you to see the scene that we were in here. They're standing behind Jesus. They didn't just say, no, what, what do you say we should do, Jesus? We can hear them in the background going, what do we do, Jesus? What's the rule? What does the law say, Jesus? What do you say? She was caught in the very act of adultery. Do you want us to describe what it looked like, where we found her? We can give you blow by blow because I'm telling you, we watched her do it. We know that she's guilty. There's no question that she's guilty. There's no way that she's innocent. You know what the law says, Jesus. You know what's supposed to be done. What do you say? Because what we know about you, Jesus, Jesus, is you hang around with people like her. You go to places where sinners are. You go to parties. You go out with people that are absolutely horrible people that we wouldn't have anything to do with. We know what kind of man you are, Jesus. We know what the law says. What do you say? What do you say? And while all this anger and vitriol gets spit out at Jesus, he just keeps writing in the dirt. Now let me tell you something. You want to make somebody mad? Get somebody that wants to fight with you. And you won't fight. Whoo, their face will get red. And they get madder and madder and madder. And they keep pushing your buttons and you just sit there and won't fight. That's what Jesus did that day. He would not fight with them. Finally, they got quiet. Nobody knows what Jesus was writing that day. Nobody has a clue. If anybody ever says that they know they're wrong, Scripture doesn't say anything about it. Lots of speculation. There's a, there is a speculation that came out of the early hundreds of life right after the church uh, got started that Jesus was writing Jeremiah 17, 13 in the dirt and said those, Scripture says, those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they will have forsaken God. And that sounds pretty good to me. I hope that's what he was writing. It just sounds like a neat thing. So he's writing this in the dirt. They're screaming and finally they completely lose it. 
they're burnt out, don't talk anymore. Jesus keeps writing for a second, and then he stops. And then he looks up, and he says one sentence. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Whichever one of you guys is perfect, throw the first rock. Let me tell you a few other little historical tidbits about this right quick. First thing is, is if you are the one who, if you're the one that brings charges against somebody that has, it's a capital crime, and they're pronounced guilty, and you're the one that brought the charges, you have to throw the first rock. You have to throw the first rock. And the second thing about these caught in adultery things is they've done some study about it and they found that most of the caught in adultery things, strangely enough, the women were caught in adultery by the husband. And they sort of found out that over time that this was a good way to get rid of a wife. And so it wasn't necessarily justice that was being carried out because the guy would be able to say she was caught in adultery and he's standing there with a rock in his hand to be the first one to kill her. So now he's a widower and he can marry again. He ain't got nothing to worry about. Don't sound quite right, does it? And here's Jesus saying, which whatever we use perfect, throw the first stone. Husband is standing back here with a rock in his hand. And then Jesus starts writing in the dirt again. And they start thinking. And they start thinking. And there's no sound. You don't hear a rock hitting flesh. You don't hear a rock hitting flesh and hitting the ground after it's drawn blood. You hear nothing. No sound at all. And then they start to leave, one at a time. Oldest guys first, then the younger guys. And I, you know, us older guys would like to flatter ourselves in saying that, well, we left first because we were older and wiser. Maybe, maybe it's because we're older and we've got more junk in our bag than the younger guys had. And it gave us a little more to think about. Hmm, maybe I'm not so perfect. So they all leave. Jesus just keeps sitting there, writing in the dirt. Finally, they're all gone, and he just keeps writing in the dirt for a minute. And then he looks up like he's sort of surprised, which he's not. Stands up, think about what he does. He's been writing in the dirt, right? What do you do when you stand up after you sat on the ground? Clean myself off. All this is going on, the woman's standing there. Finally he stops and he looks over and he says, Woman, where are they? Has nobody condemned you? She says, No one, Lord. Now this word Lord, your, your Bible might say sir, because the word Lord, it's translated from the word courier. And it can mean something as big as, you know, the beginning of Lord God Almighty kind of thing. And it can mean something simply as sir. You know, hi sir, how you doing? It can mean something as simple as that. In this case, it's more on the sir end of deals that she doesn't really realize what this man is about to say to her. But he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. I normally get choked up when I read this. I've practiced a lot this week. 
I got choked up when I read it in my office because I identify with this woman so much. And I think if you'll think about it, you'll identify with her too. Game Show Network? Anybody watch Game Show Network? Family Feud? Steve Harvey? There you go. Steve Harvey, my man. I was flipping through the channels, went across BET one night. Steve Harvey's doing his comedy routine. He's talking about church people. I thought I would die. But one of the things that Steve Harvey kept talking about is, I got this Ten Commandments thing. I got seven of them down. But I got three I've still got trouble with. And everybody, of course, laughed when he talks about that. But it's funny because we all have some of that, right? We all know, yeah, there's Ten Commandments out there, but there's a couple I got a little issue with. And we could talk about the adultery issue. We really could. We could hit that pretty hard. And you think, well, preacher, you'd talk about someone said, no, I'd go to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, would, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you looked at any woman with lust in your heart, then you have committed adultery with her. Now, listen, I may be the only one in here who's foolish and believes this way, but I've seen enough naked women on TV, that's Southern, by the way, naked, unclothed women on TV, that you can't tell me. When I was a kid, we used to get a little crazy about the Sears catalog. <laughs> Don't let mama let me catch me looking in the lingerie section of the... And Lord have mercy what my children can see on television. So, we could probably hit you on that one, but I thought I'd go easy and ask you this question. This week, has anybody in here this week been talking to somebody and you shaded the truth just a little bit? You didn't lie. You just didn't tell the whole story. Anybody in here do? Don't raise your hand. Lord of mercy, I'd get so much wind up here to knock me backwards. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. That's one of them little pesky Ten Commandments. That's one of the things that, that God doesn't know, God doesn't do. And see, I know, I know, I know that I know that I know because I know how I am and I know how you are. Our desire is for godliness. We want to be godly. We want to do the right thing. We really, really do. And yet we open our mouths and things come out of our mouths that we lean back sometimes. Tell me you don't do this. You lean back sometimes and you think, why did I say that? Why did that happen? This is us. And we feel guilty about it. And we feel shame and then we stand before Jesus and Jesus looks at us and he says, look, I don't condemn you. I'm here to save you and love you. Go and sin no more. I want you to listen to this scripture very, very carefully because I don't think we get it. John 3.17 says, for God sent the Son into the world to do what? Not to condemn the world he's not looking to get you 
But the wor- that the world might be saved, that the world might be saved through him. That's what he's out to do. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, it put sin in our DNA. It put a rebellious spirit in our DNA. And that, that DNA has been passed on and passed on and passed on for thousands of years. We've got that in our, in our very nature. But Jesus, but Jesus came and he replaced Adam. And he has taken that woman that everybody called trash and everybody called a tramp. And everybody had words for her that we're not going to use in a sanctuary. And before time began... Listen, listen, listen. Before time began, he saw that woman. And he saw a beautiful creation of his. And he says, she needs another chance. She needs a new life. She needs to live without sin hovering over her every second. I'm going to make sure that happens. Before time began. So on that beautiful football weather day, sitting under a brilliant sun, on a morning when the coolness of the fall air had kissed both of them gently on their cheek, Jesus saved her from death and gave her a chance to start all over again. Not because she deserved it, but because he wanted to. Because he loved her so much. Because he cared for her so much. Jesus is in the redemption business. He's in the business of making old things new. He's in the business of taking broken things and making them whole again. He's in the business of taking our disasters and turning them into victories like we didn't believe that we could have. That's the business my Savior is in. And he's standing in front of you right this minute. And he's saying to you, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go your way. Don't worry about sin anymore. Just love me. And Father, we thank you so much that before the foundation of the world, before anything was created that is, before the angels were there, before the worlds were there, before anybody's big bang or anything else that happened in all of creation that got it all started before any of that you knew each person here at First Baptist Gray this morning in 2014 and you had already made their salvation complete thank you for that Thank you that all we've got to do is believe and you save us. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this woman. Thank you for those Pharisees and scribes. And thank you for Jesus who answered them in the most beautiful, precious way possible. 
Let us hear your voice this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.